The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 9 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC9. This is Secret Church 9, Episode 9. How is the church led? These last two sections, and you can tell, are much shorter, but they're important. Organization of the church. Here we go. Church is an organism and an organization. So yes, it's a living, breathing, vital organism, but there's also structure in the makeup of the church. Good structure, healthy structure, God-designed structure. There's a lot of talk and church talk about, well, fluid, organic, no structure. No, that's God set up some structure here. Church is an institution. Defined, if an institution is defined as an organization or establishment devoted to the promotion of a particular cause. Is the church an institution? Absolutely, in that sense. A divinely instituted organization with a definite cause. Now it's comprised of individuals, of people. We can't get focused on trappings and miss people. We've got to be careful there, Yes. But there is organization here. Christ is Lord of the church. Everything is centered around him. That's where the structure starts. He's the head. Matthew 16, he builds the church. Everything flows from him. He's the head, Colossians 2. Christ is the Lord of the church, yet he gives leaders to the church. He sets up leaders in the church. And there are two, and we're going to see in 1 Timothy 3, both of these leaders, offices that he put God has given us elders, who I'm calling here servant leaders in the church, and deacons who are leading servants in the church. Now, again, this is one of those points where, where around this room, there's probably all kinds of different churches with all kinds of different leadership structures represented. So I want to be careful here. Because and I, I think when we, we don't have a ton of specifics about exactly how some of these things look in Scripture, but we do have some, some essential truths that we need to make sure are in our churches. Elders who are servant leaders in the church, deacons who are leading servants in the church. We see elders and deacons clearly. Now, what do we mean by that? Because even, even as soon as I say those terms, I know that based on religious backgrounds all across this room, different denominational backgrounds, you got all kinds of ideas coming in your head about what is an elder or a deacon. So let's, let's just try to think, what is the scripture saying? Elders. The church chooses and follows elders as servant leaders who are wholeheartedly committed to accomplishing the mission of Christ. That word, elders, pretty common term in scripture. It's used in the Old Testament even, but in the New Testament, about 20 different times in the book of Acts and other New Testament letters, this is referring to a group of leaders in the church. You see Acts 20, you got elders in Ephesus. It's referred to, well, and you, you get to 1 Timothy 3, it says, if anyone aspires to be the office of overseer, and then the same picture is painted in Titus chapter 1, but there the reference is to an elder, appointing elders. 1 Peter chapter 5 is talking about elders. So what we need to realize is elder, pastor, and overseer, interchangeable terms and titles in the New Testament. Okay, that's key. You're thinking, man, you're one of those elder guys. Well, elder, pastor, overseer, interchangeable terms in Scripture. So we got pastors, elders, overseers. The New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders in the church. Just about every time elders is used in Scripture, it's mentioned in the plural. There's something there. So four responsibilities of elders that we see in the church. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. So they are leaders. They're overseers. They have overall leadership. But under the authority of Christ, they belong to the church. The church, remember, is ultimately accountable here. They're raised up by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God raises up leaders in the church. 
Elders belong to the church, and the church belongs to Christ. And elders are responsible to the Son of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, is, is one of the most humbling verses for me as a pastor. When he's talking about two elders, Paul's talking to the elders, says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, pastors, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Like, I, I'm, I'm to oversee a, a church, a local church that he has obtained with his own blood. I and the other elders around me, pastors around me. Elders lead under the authority of Christ. They care for the body of Christ. They care for the body of Christ. Elders protect the flock. They guard the flock. This is so important. When I was, when I was hiking in, in uh, East Asia and, and midst of these very unreached villages, and, and we would go, and dogs, like mangy, evil-looking dogs. And whenever you get near a house... And we were, we were trying to be covert because we were, we were dropping some literature in places we weren't supposed to be dropping literature. And so, and these dogs would come in, they start barking, they start running out, running right at you. And so what we learned was that you always needed, now follow with me, stay with me. You always needed a good, uh, a good helping of rocks in your pocket. Not, not to throw at the dog, but right in front of the dog. That, that was, that's what you needed. That's what they told us to do. Just, if you throw rocks on the ground right in front of the dog, I mean, you try to just hit the ground in front of the dog and, and they'll stop. And so, and so we, we, we had camped out one night in this one particular place and we had to pass by this village. We were gonna get up early the next morning while nobody else was awake and we were gonna sneak out from where we were. But we had to pass by this village where we knew there were a ton of dogs. And whenever you got near any, any of them, they just start barking like crazy. So it was me and my two brothers and we were I mean, both of them bigger, bigger than me. And we were just, we, what we did is we got next to each other, just, I mean, we were kind of holding on to each other's jackets, pitch black. And we, we got this village over here on our right. And we went like this slow, like quietly, trying to make sure they didn't hear us. And then I don't know what happened. I mean, somebody slipped or something and, and made a noise and we all knew it. And we, we hear in the distance this, this ravaging pack of dogs that is now awake. And in the moonlight, you couldn't see anything but their green eyes, like, coming at you. And we had Ryan. We were just like, throw them, throw them, and start running. So that's what elders do. Elders, <laughs> elders are on guard for the flock. They watch out for the church. They guard the church. Elders nurture the flock. They nurture the flock. Elders, pastors don't just pet the sheep. They feed the sheep, okay? Elders care for the body of Christ. Elders teach the word of Christ. A pastor is, it must be able to teach. An elder must be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3, 2. So an elder must know the word extensively, and elders communicate the word effectively. That's how they lead in the church, by the word. Elders lead under the authority of Christ, care for the body of Christ, teach the word of Christ, and elders model the character of Christ. And what we see in 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, and Titus 1 are really character qualifications of elders. Um, and it's interesting, when you look at those lists, you, you don't see age on the list, which is helpful for a younger pastor. Um, you don't see success in business. This is not just good guys. No, you, you see guys who are modeling the character of Christ. And, and I say guys because you don't see in any of those lists women mentioned that biblically elders are men, leaders in 
the church in this way. And in the same way, picture it just like in the, in the home, what God has designed in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and this is not an equality discussion or value discussion. This is the way God has designed our homes and our families and, his, and our spiritual family, faith family. So the whole picture is, when you look at those lists, the primary question is, what will happen if the church imitates this leader? That's, that's the picture of modeling. In his personal life, is he self-controlled? Is he wise? Is he wise? Is he peaceable? Is he gentle? Sacrificial giver, humble, patient, honest. Is he disciplined? Is he disciplined? I mean, it's, you know, when you read the lists in First, First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it's really things that are expected of all followers of Christ in a sense, except for being able to teach. That's not in a, in a little separate in that. But the reality is this is where elders are supposed to be models. In his family life, is he the elder in his home? How can he lead the church if he's not leading his home? If he is single, is he self-controlled? If he is married, is he completely committed to his wife? If he has children, do they honor him? These are penetrating questions, particularly when you... When, when you think about being an elder or a pastor, in his social business life, is he kind? Is he hospitable? An elder can't be just a recluse always keeping to himself. Is he a friend of strangers? Does he show favoritism? Does he have a blameless reputation? Blameless reputation. It doesn't mean he's perfect. But First Timothy talks about it being above reproach. In his spiritual life, is he making disciples of all nations? It's foundational. How's he going to lead the church to do that if he's not doing it? Does he love the word? Is he a man of prayer? Is he holy? Is he gracious? Ah, even reading through those questions, that, that is a humbling list of questions. And then we see deacons. Deacons. The church affirms and honors deacons as leading servants who use their gifts to build up the body of Christ. We see this in Acts chapter 6. In 1 Timothy 3, deacons mentioned gives a list. Three responsibility of deacons. Deacons meet needs according to the word. So what happens in Acts 6 is there's a specific circumstances that arise that we need to care for widows and, and, and folks in the church. And so they, are, they arise from specific circumstances and they're accountable for specific commands. God has said, care for them. We're not doing it. We got to have some kind of way to do that. Deacons meet needs according to the word. Deacons support the ministry of the word. This is where deacons serve elders so that they can lead. The whole picture in Acts 6 is when deacons are raised up to do this, the, the apostles are freed up to focus on prayer and ministry of the word. So deacons serve elders so that they can lead, and deacons lead others so that they can serve. It's not just any servant in the church that's called a deacon. Because everybody in the church is supposed to be a servant, right? It's people who are leading out in service in different ways. And then deacons unify the body around the word. The unity of the church was what was, was struggling there in Acts 6. And what they do when they step up, they promote unity. And to make sure when we think about deacons, this is not, deacons don't divide, they unify. So qualifications of deacons, number one, a mission mindset. You look in Acts chapter 6, you certainly see that. And you see the guys that are raised up, people who see the mission of the church and supporting the mission of the church and a Christ-like character. I put Acts 7, 54 through 60 there, just a picture. I mean, Stephen, a deacon, giving his life as the first Christian martyr. So we ask questions that are very similar based on 1 Timothy 3. Is this person honorable? Is this person genuine? 
authentic and sincere, not a gossip? Is this person self-controlled? Is this person a sacrificial giver? Is this person devoted to the word? Devoted to the word? Is this person faithful? They must have proved themselves faithful in serving Christ. Blameless again, morally pure, not perfect here. But the picture of above reproach, is this person honoring Christ in the home? And then here's the question. Here's the question. Is the person faithful? Is this person blameless? Is this person honoring Christ in the home? And the last question there, what about women? We've seen that elders are men. What about deacons? And basically there's, there's, there's two schools of thought on this one. Are de- are, are, can women be deacons? There's two schools of thought. One says yes, and the other says no. So, so here's the deal. And, and this is about 12, 12.30 is where I like to throw out something controversial, usually at Secret Church. So uh, hopefully you won't remember. But this is, uh, this is where I, I, there are obviously a lot of different views all across this room, I think, on that. Well, there's two different views separated all across this room. Um, and, and there are Bible-believing scholars and pastors that I respect greatly that, that are on both, both sides of this picture. Some of you might be thinking, well, look at First Timothy 3. Like, it's, it's pretty easy. Like, it says deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, etc. And then it says in 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. But each deacon be the husband of one wife. So some say, well, that just, that, it's that easy. I, I don't think it's necessarily that easy here. Four things I want you to, to think about that, that point to what I think is a possibility that, that, yes, yes, women can be deacons in the church. Now, I want you to follow with me here. Number one, consider the translation. When you get to verse 11 there, and you'll, you'll probably have a note, it's not here, but in your Bible, you have a note that's in you at the bottom that says that there, there is, that there, there, their wives, there is, is it not in some manuscripts? And the picture is many people, many Bible scholars believe that this is just talking about women. There's ambiguity there. Consider the transition here. Paul transitions at that point in the same way that he transitioned when he went from elders to deacons, then to this third picture of what some would say deaconesses. Consider the elders' wives. Like, why did he not say anything about elders' wives? Especially when an elder had more responsibility in the home and more leadership responsibility in the church in a sense. He said nothing about elders' wives. And then consider what I call the Phoebe factor. Um, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at uh, Kinkrai. And the word there for servant is deaconos, diakonos, which would, which would seem to point to a deaconal role. Now, here's the deal. What I think is important, because there are all kinds of different pictures of church structure represented around this room. And there are churches represented in this room that, if I could be honest, deacons basically serve as elders. And deacons are more of an overseeing body. If that's the case in a church, then I would not say then women should be deacons because that, I mean, they're basically serving as elders in an overall role. But when it comes to, okay, somebody leading out in a hospitality ministry, somebody leading out in a variety of different ministries, and you look in the New Testament, you see 17 different women that Paul mentions that are in significant leadership positions in the church, doing different things in the church, serving in different ways in the church. I think the reality is, if we have a proper understanding of 
elders and deacons and where they, where they fit, I think, I think it makes total sense that, it, that it's certainly possible. Yeah. So how it all works, every member of the church is a minister of the gospel. Every member of the church is a minister of the gospel. Ephesians 4 makes that clear. Every church, member of the church minister. Leaders serve the members. That's what leaders do. They serve. Jesus served, mandated servant leadership for leaders in the church. And it's important here because leaders, elders, for example, their authority is conditional. My authority as a pastor in this church is conditional. I must teach the word accurately. If I'm not teaching the word, then I can't lead this church. Because the word is the only basis by which the church is led. So I must teach the word accurately and they must live the word faithfully. Our accountability, there's accountability there that's conditional and it's serious. Elders serve, leaders in the church serve carefully. They keep watch and they serve responsibility as men who must give an account. And they serve joyfully. That's in Hebrews 13, 17. So they serve carefully, responsibly, joyfully. When leaders are serving members, then members submit to leaders. Now, submit, that's just not a popular word in many of our contexts today because we think of so many different things. Submission is a good thing. The Son, Christ, submitted to the Father. That's a good thing. It's not a picture of inequality. It's not a picture of some abuse in power. There's a picture of loving, glad submission. And if members, what does submission look like in the church? Members obey the word that leaders teach. And it only makes sense. If leaders are teaching the word of Christ, then members obey the word of Christ. Members are under the authority of Christ. So they're, they're accountable to follow Christ. Members are under the authority of Christ and ultimately accountable, accountable to Christ for the things we've talked about in matters of dispute, in matters of doctrine. Members of the church are accountable for the makes of the gospels preached in matters of discipline. We've talked about all those things. So members, members, Listen to what is being taught from the word. They imitate the faith that leaders have. And they, in the process, maximize the joy that leaders experience, which is what we see in some healthy ways in books like Philippians and 1 Thessalonians, that, that there is supposed to be a beautiful, harmonious picture between leaders and members of churches. When leaders are serving members and members are submitting to leaders under the authority of Christ, the church is edified. The church is edified and Christ is glorified. Okay, five minutes. Five minutes and then we are finished. Where is the church going? Future of the church. I, just, I basically just want to close with four exhortations. As the people of God, called by God's grace, through faith in Christ, to glorify Him by serving in this world. Just sum it up here. Number one, let us lean on the faithfulness of the Lord. I hope we've seen tonight that God has always been gracious to His people. He has shown himself gracious from generation to generation. God has always been sufficient for his people. Even in the midst of difficulty, he has held up his church. He's sustained. His purposes will triumph. God's purposes will triumph and his promises will prove true. His words will never pass away, guaranteed. So as the people of God, as the church, let's lean on the faithfulness of our captain. Let us learn from those who have gone before us. I love Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith there. You just think about this picture of those who have gone before us in this room. They knew that God's call on their lives was only due to God's grace in their hearts. This is how the whole people of God started in Genesis chapter 12 when God took an 
idolater from Ur of the Chaldeans and poured out his grace. They were not afraid to leave the familiar for the unknown. The people of God have never shrunk back into the known and the safe and the secure in this world. Why not? Because they were clearly out of place in this world. I meant to put verse 13 right here. Verse 9 and 10 is mentioned twice, but verse 13 in Hebrews 11 says they were aliens and strangers here. You could tell they didn't belong. Church, we don't belong here. Let's not live like we belong here. We're aliens and strangers. We're exiles here. They patiently trusted in the promises of God. There were times when they had nothing but his promise, and that was sufficient. They believed that God could accomplish the impossible. Abraham and Sarah approaching a hundred when they had Isaac. That's old for a baby to be born. God could accomplish the impossible. They believed it. Their lives counted on earth because their eyes were fixed on heaven. People say, well, some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Wrong. You fix your eyes on heaven, it changes everything about how you live on earth. Church of God, this world is not our home. Birmingham's not our home. Wherever you live, it's not your home. United States, this is not our home. We're living for another city and another country, a better city, a heavenly country. We're only here for a short while. We don't need bigger houses and nicer comforts, which is why their radical faith led to radical sacrifice. They risked it all. He was willing to sacrifice his son because he trusted God. This is my favorite part, Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 through 40. They were willing to die living by faith. They were willing to die living by faith. Let us learn from those who have gone before us. Let us live for those who will come behind us. Let's live for the future church to pass this gospel on. Psalm 78, 1 Thessalonians, this is, this is the picture of Thessalonica. Let's share the word with others. Let's evangelize. Let's proclaim. They'll receive the word. Paul had preached the word, Acts 17, in Thessalonica, and they received it. Then let's show the word to others. They will model it. Let's show what the Christ life looks like to each other as we share life together. Let's teach the word to others. They will spread it. Instead of the church of Thessalonica, the word rang out from them. Stop receiving the word. Start reproducing the word. And then, then let us long for the end of the world. End of the world? What do you mean? You've lost it. No, not lost it. This gospel of the kingdom will proclaim throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God's purpose for the church is clear. Get the gospel to every nation, every people group. Over 11,000 people groups in the world. Over 11,000 people groups in the world, and over 6,000 of them are still not reached with the gospel. How is that possible, church? With all that we have... Jesus has died to purchase a people from every language and tribe. There's coming a day when they're all going to gather around his throne. That's what we live for, church. We want the church universal now to be complete. But don't miss it. God's plan for the church is costly. Right after he says what he says in Matthew 24, 14, he says they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my sake. And Paul said it. He said in Acts 20, 24, my life is of no value except for one thing, make the gospel known. Your life, Christian, in the church, your life is of no value, but for one thing, testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's costly. 
It cost Paul his life. It's costing our brothers and sisters in our lives, their lives all around the world. Let's give our lives for this. God's promise to the church is coming. It's coming. They will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. He will return for his church. Revelation 1-7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. We, he will return for his church. We will reign in his kingdom. They shall reign on the earth, Revelation 5.10 says. And we will rejoice forever in our God. Revelation 22, church. This is where we're headed. We're headed to the day when we will see his faith. And when, together with every people group on the planet represented, we will enjoy his glory and declare his praise. Cherish the church. Love the church. Commit to the church. Devote your life to the church. Advance the church. And one day we are going to experience an eternal reward that belongs only to his church. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.